0: to be joined on football CFB tonight by a true broadcasting legend a man who's commentated on some of the finest moments in football and also works on ESPN FC in the United States that man is Ian Dark Ian thank you so much for joining me
1: absolute pleasure pleasure to be with you
0: the the first question I've got for you and I want to ask you about ESPN FC because when I mentioned you were coming on the show Dan Thomas was delighted to hear that you were coming on um I spoke to Dan recently. Just what's it like working in that show? There's so many big characters, including yourself in that show. Craig Burley, as well, of course.
1: It's a a great show and it's got quite a lot of uh, traction worldwide I think now it's shown in a lot of countries and sometimes peak time as well um yeah they like a good argument and and like a good laugh as well on the program and we try to keep it as lively as we can with plenty of spark and I think that's probably the secret of the popularity it's just a a bunch of guys really a lot of them of course are ex-professionals I'm a commentator there's sometimes a journalist or two on there and um We talk about the hot issues of the day in football and that can make for quite a a potent mix. A lot of people are trying to do it. They don't all succeed. But um, happily, this show does, I think, at the moment.
0: You mentioned the fact that you're known to so many as a commentator. So how much do you enjoy being able to open up and give your opinions on the game in that environment?
1: Well, it's a pleasure and, and a privilege, really, to be able to talk about football for a living. It, it's not like real work but you know, I always say to people they say oh you're, you're so lucky you can go and watch football you know every day but it's not like going with your mates and having a few beers before the game. Um, there's a lot of preparation to do you'll know about that. You've got to know who the players are. you've got to know what the stories are around each game. So it is a job um, but it is a pleasure. How much comment do you want from the commentator when he's calling a match? Uh, not too much, I'd say, but I don't like to hear a a commentator who doesn't have an opinion about anything.
0: Well, well, as you say, I I agree with that. And I think for you, you've obviously commentated in the Premier League for so many years, um, and English football in general. How has the English game developed for you through your sort of uh, lifespan as a broadcaster?
1: Well, if you go back to the opening year of the Premier League, and that was 1992-93, I think it was something like a dozen foreign players playing in the whole of the league now something like 60 70% of the players are from abroad the premier league you can say what you like about it some people call it that the greed is good league but it is commercially the most successful league in the world which is why it attracts the huge television money uh, from all over the world and why it attracts the best players as well because the clubs now are very rich clubs in the middle of the Premier League are as rich as Juventus so things have changed lot. Like the other thing that's changed and it's a simple thing is the quality of the pitches back, back in the early 90s we were still on um, pitches that were really like mud baths uh, uneven, quite difficult to play on. Now they're all like carpets. They're all like Wem- Wembley was the only pitch that used to be like every pitch in the Premier League now is. So Glenn Hoddle, who works alongside me, he always says that. He says, I would have loved to play on this. Imagine playing on this. Um, it is so different. So, so that's different as well. And another thing is when TV football started, there would usually be only one television channel and one commentator covering the game. Now, there are probably a dozen radio and TV commentators on every single match from who knows what channels and all kinds of websites and social media outlets as well. And that, I'll be honest with you, does make our job a little bit more difficult because it used to be quite special for a, a club to be on the TV. And you could often go and have a you know, coffee. I, I've had coffee with Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, sitting around. He'd tell me what the team was going to be, chat through you know the issues at Manchester United. Now that's not going to happen anymore. Now everything tends to operate through behind a big wall of PR people, and, and access is, is much more difficult than it used to be.
0: You mentioned access changing over the years um, you, you mentioned a character like Sir Alex Ferguson. What was it like when you got to speak to characters like uh, Marcin Wenger and others? Because they, although they were icons of the game, they, they still had that old-school streak in them of seeing the media as, as as friends in many ways and being willing to speak to them, whereas, as you say now, it tends to be PR-driven.
1: Yeah, I don't think necessarily friends, because even then, the managers wanted you to spin things their way, there's not a manager board who likes to hear his team being torn apart by pundits or or anybody else on TV. But I think you, know, you, you mentioned Alex Ferguson. I think what he had for us as commentators was he had respect for the job that you had to do as well. And I always liked that. If you asked him a question, he might not give you the answer. He might not want to tell you some, some things and that, that's his prerogative, but he'd try to help out. Um, but he could be a little bit volatile. Sometimes he would be very friendly and say, yeah, what do you, what do you need to know? And he'd say, well, no, Mark Hughes is out of the team today. He's got, he's, he's got flu. You know, Brian McLaren's not going to be playing. Uh, Neil Webb's out with a bit of a hamstring injury, so we're going to do this and that. And you think, well, this is fantastic. Next time he might be steamed up about something or other. We were never quite sure what. And he would just, once at Leeds, for instance, he walked in and said to us all, he said, all you people wearing those ridiculous Sky Sports jackets, get out of my sight. (laughs) (laughs) We we wondered why, but it was because Sky News had run a a feature called Cantona's Crimes about all his misdemeanors, which he didn't like at all. So Sky, he wasn't gonna talk to. <laughs> for the next six weeks but that's the way it kind of went on even now um the old school english managers like steve bruce and and roy Hodgson, and um sam Allardyce okay he's he's not in a, a work at the moment you can call them up and they will give you as much help as they conceivably can and a little bit of time to talk it through because they respect the, the job you've got to do. I do think it's more difficult with the, the Pep Guardiolas and Jose Mourinho because I think they come from a culture where nobody ever asked them that. I don't think the commentators in those countries ever rang them up and said, well, can you give us a steer on the team and who's fit? If you ask Jose Mourinho to give you any, any kind of help, even when you've got the 11 names who are gonna be playing about what the formation might be, he would look at you as if you've just arrived from Mars and say, yeah, what, what, why are you asking me these things? So it varies. So we know who we we know who we can ask and we know who we
0: can't. <laughs> you, you mentioned the development of the pitches, the development, of course, of TV contracts, foreign players coming into each and every team. One of the things I want to ask you about is the, the quality of gantries. Have they improved? Because when I spoke to your good friend, Andy Gray, he talked about your beloved, beloved Portsmouth and Fratton Park and he said, I used to hate having to go up that ladder. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's terrifying. One or two of them are terrifying. Um, Yeah, I think health and safety have have kicked in a little bit now, but Everton used to be another one, which involved vertical climbs up a ladder, which is not funny on a windy, rainy night. Um, Or, you know, we're not getting any younger, some of us as well. Uh, And I know one or two big names who didn't certainly didn't like Everton or the one at Pompey, yeah that the vertical ladder up the middle of the stand Bristol City was another before they built the, the nice new stand it could be something of an adventure um, to, to get up there people think we operate in these luxury booths with pe- people bringing us food etc it isn't like that at all up there please remember that when, when you next criticise a commentator that he's probably on a windy gantry somewhere with his note blowing around um, the sound quality isn't great in the headphones because there's about eight people trying to talk at once um, it's it's not quite as straightforward as it would seem
0: it's still a good job though <laughs> one of the things that I've got to be honest with you um, Ian amazes me about elite commentators like yourself is the fact that you're able to get it so right in the moment I mean think of the, the famous Wayne Rooney goal that's synonymous with yourself where it comes, he cracks in the volley and you just think to yourself, wow, how, how, how are you able to get that timing spot on most of the time? Couldn't
1: really tell you. I think it, that's just something that maybe comes with doing it for a long time. You, you hope, you hope and pray. First of all, I'm going to be honest here, every football commentator is lying to you. The first thing that you're concerned about is you've called the right guy who scored the goal. <laughs> I mean, that's the nightmare that you you haven't called the right goal score. It was, there's always a little moment in your head where you're going, it was him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, that's okay. But the Rooney one you talked about, yeah, that just happened. That just happened in, in the flow of the commentary. And, and he did this uh, extraordinary thing in the game. And I think as a football lover, your voice just reacts to that. And you hope what comes out matches the moment. I think on that, that one, yeah, I would be pretty happy that it did, some others, you, you you hear back your goal call and you'll think, yeah, I could have done a little bit better really, to be honest, or I could have found a, another great line. But, um, you know, some you win, some you lose. It, 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 often, I think, you put your microphone down at the end of the game and think, well, we, we, we got away with that one. We got away with it again tonight um, because it is a bit of a ducking and dive exercise. You know, there are sometimes, I mean, when there were five substitutes allowed, uh, which wasn't so long ago in the Premier League, during the summer, there were 32 players playing in the match quite often. So I, I remember joking with, I think it was Glenn Hoddle. Um, somebody said, oh, get Glenn to name his man of the match, I heard in my headphones. So I said, uh, Glenn, can you think of whom the man of the match might be among the 32 we've seen here tonight? <laughs> <So> <laughs> we were having a bit of a laugh about it on air. I mean, that, I think that's another important thing, by the way. Um there should be a bit of interplay and, and banter with, with your co-commentator. You you don't want it to sound like you're sitting on one side of the stadium and he's on the other side, and never the twain shall meet. And you sometimes hear a commentary that sounds a little bit like that. So I just I do like a little bit of byplay, if possible, without trying to turn it into a, a vaudeville act.
0: And in terms of that relationship with co-commentators, for yourself, obviously you are a broadcaster, but first and foremost. You're a football fan, so what's it like for you when you get to to share the gantry with an ex-pro baby, getting a chat before the game and after the game as well?
1: Yeah, well, I think you get you get used to being around guys who you know if they walked down the street, they'd be stopped for photographs all the time. So like Michael Owen and Steve McManaman, Owen Hargreaves, Rio Ferdinand, Glenn Hoddle, um, you know Robbie Savage. So yeah, that but I think when they're broadcasting alongside you they're not really gods and messiahs anymore their job now isn't playing the game it's talking about it so in a way one or two of them you know would might ask you for one or two t- tips if when they start out doing the, the co-commentary business i mean i think you know, Gary Neville, I don't work with Gary Neville, he works on Sky Sports, but he's obviously a huge success. I think you know he took the trouble to learn the business. Now, so if you're a, a professional footballer, I mean, nobody would expect me to go and <laughs> go and play for England. <laughs> and, and it's another, it's another world, isn't it? So that in, in broadcasting, it's learning a new trade. And I think the, the guys who are making the best job of, of being pundits are the ones who are taking the trouble to do their homework. And learn that new trade too, and, and get good at it.
0: I mentioned the fact that in that question that you're a massive football fan, a massive Portsmouth fan, a club that's had a lot of ups and ups and downs, the same as so many clubs in England and Scotland and around Europe. What's your journey been like as a Portsmouth fan?
1: Um, well, it's been a roller coaster, of course. But that you're right, that's true for fans of most clubs. Nobody has success all the time. Not even Manchester United. Not even Liverpool. Um, yeah, there'll be down, there'll be down periods. I, I've been supporting Portsmouth since I was about six years old when my dad dragged me to Fratton Park. I used to live half a mile from the ground. I was born in a hospital next to the ground, so I was only ever going to support Portsmouth. And you'll find that in, in that uh, city. You won't find many kids wearing Arsenal and Manchester United and Liverpool shirts, they're all wearing Pompey shirts and they're all Pompey fans, which is how they get, you know, capacity crowds nearly playing in the in the fourth and third tier, which they have done now for the last eight years. So, um, you know, won the FA Cup. I, I thought I'd never s- see the day, but Pompey won the FA Cup in 2008, then reached the final again. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, huge problems. Club nearly went... You know, it was minutes from going out of business. It probably should have done. The debts were that big. Somehow they got through it. And uh, the club's now back on a, a good financial footing and going the right way again. And has got a fair chance of going up to the championship, I'd say, this year.
0: Who would you say was your first Portsmouth hero when you were growing up as a kid?
1: Oh, no question about that. When I, was a, when I was a boy, I used to play for my school team and I was playing with kids about four years older. I was seven, they were 11. Uh, so I got in the team quite early and I used to play on the right wing. Portsmouth had a right winger called Peter Harris back then. He played for England as well. He'd have played for England a lot more um, if a, a guy called Stanley Matthews hadn't been around. Um, so he was fantastic. So he was speedy. And I think one night he scored all five goals in a midweek yeah, top flight match against Aston Villa, um, so he was my hero, and I tried to I tried to be like him.
0: And in terms of I uh, no one. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of Portsmouth as well, what's it like when you have to commentate on the team you support? Because obviously you're a professional and and you you do that job to the best of your ability. But is it difficult not to have a wry smile if they score a goal? Um, I've done. Pompey commentaries probably about a
1: dozen times I'd say over the years on TV and I like to think I'd I'd leave any bias at the commentary box door because the professional in you kicks in a little bit. You wouldn't want to hear a, a commentator who you knew supported, I don't know, Middlesbrough you know, or one of the teams. Um, so I probably overcorrect if the truth be told. I think Maybe, maybe my colours showed once in, I think it was an FA Cup quarterfinal, it was Portsmouth against Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest, Um, and Portsmouth beat them uh, in the quarterfinals, I think it was 92, and I I think at the end, my voice did rather betray (laughs) the emotion, if I'm honest about it, I hope other people didn't notice, but they might have done it. I think one or two of my bosses did. Said, you, you were you were getting a bit emotional, Larry. And I, I got a phone call the next day. Um, so, yeah, not normally, though. I did once see them play. And they lost a game they dominated and got beaten in the last minute by Charlton at home. And at the end, because uh, they were fighting relegation at the time, I said, so that's it. A great away win. What a comeback for Charlton, who've won by two goals to one here at Fratton Park. Um, And we were off air and I actually just threw the microphone down (laughs) at the end. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of commentators that they don't like to betray their allegiances. I've never had a problem with it because we all grew up as as fans of a club. I mean, show me a football uh, commentator who doesn't really root for one club secretly and I'll show you a cold fish. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I've got one last question for you, and thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, I mentioned the fact you're a massive Portsmouth fan. Obviously, I imagine you you like to see the the England international team doing well too. What would you rather Portsmouth win the Premier League or England win the World Cup again?
1: Oh, that's that's the impossible question. It really is. I mean, the answer is both. (laughs) Portsmouth aren't going to win the Premier League I know Leicester City did it but uh, I think every Portsmouth fan would take just going back to the championship because I think most Portsmouth fans think that's the natural home of the club really about the second tier yeah wouldn't it be fantastic if England won the World Cup again it was a pretty good run in 2018 it might have happened it didn't a lot of great young players coming through and if uh, they're handled correctly and they can get the defence to look a little bit more solid, I think England have got as, as good a chance as any of the other countries of winning the next European Championships, particularly with the semi-finals and finals due to be at Wembley. We'll, we'll see whether the championships actually happen um, a bit later. Hopefully some kind of normality will be restored by then. But yeah, I'm, I mean,
0: England could be, could be up for a good few years at the moment. And in terms of um, fans not being at stadiums, as a commentator, how much are you missing them?
1: Incredibly. I think it's getting harder and harder. When it started, you could kind of just get your adrenaline going and, and, and do the matches. It felt strange, but I think more and more... It's kicking in. You you look around. I was at Arsenal the other day, this huge cavernous stadium holding 60,000 fans and row upon row upon row of empty seats. And when you walk out and you put your microphone down and you walk through all the corridors and you go into the lift, it's eerie. It's really eerie. There's no one around. You walk to the tube station at Holloway Road. Nobody's there. You know, you, 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 you miss all the little things like the hot dog cellars and the... The banter between the fans and the atmosphere in the stadium when you can hear all the players shouting, though it's quite interesting to hear what they shout sometimes. Um, No, I think... And the players will tell you the same thing. The players can't wait for the fans to come back. And I'd like to think, at the back of this, when, when the COVID crisis is over, that the clubs will appreciate their fans even more and maybe cut better deals for them and look after the football fans more than perhaps we have done in England. I think, you know, we could learn a lot from the way the Bundesliga treats supporters there with all the cut price rates and deals for fans who want to go to away matches. Yeah. They need to think about that. So the short answer is we need the fans back and very, very soon. I'm so sorry. I feel so sorry for the fans. I I walked out the ground the other day. Where was it? Uh, At Chelsea. And there were a little knot of, Fans wearing Chelsea blue and white scarves, just waiting outside the ground. It was like they, you know, they just had to be near the team. They couldn't go in, but they just wanted to be in the same area. And they asked me, you know, was it was it a good game? How did it? You know, and I had to, and I spoke to them for a bit and told them about the game. But I tell you what, I felt guilty almost that these people they love their club so much, and you know, I'm I'm allowed in because it's my job to go and see them, but uh, those people would have given anything to have to have gone in. Hope they can come back soon.
0: Absolutely, I certainly do. And and for you, Ian, thank you so much for being on the show and I wish you all the best for the future and keep those commentaries coming because so many of us just absolutely love them.
1: And that's very kind of you to say that. It, not all the reactions like that, of course, on Twitter. We all take, we all take a caning on Twitter. So I do appreciate that and uh, thanks for having me on.
0: So we'll dive down to Ocean, I will make her home in a deep sea cave, and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean, I'll we'll make her home in a deep sea cave, and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song.